Hey everybody, it's Adam Farkas. Welcome to another edition of ODY Radio. And today, as you may or may not be able to tell by listening to the audio, I am on the road. Um, you heard us earlier um, down the road a bit uh, at Vistacon. We're actually in Jacksonville, Florida. They let me out of the basement for once. So I decided to take advantage of this opportunity and, and you know drive around as many places as I could and meet as many people as I could. And today we're, we're really fortunate. You know on ODY, we like to talk to a lot of clinicians around the country. Um, and so today we have uh, Dr. Kevin Henney for you. He's from Winter Haven, Florida. And sitting to his right is Tim Petito, who is the, um, what, is, what is your role? Your Director of Professional Relations at Correct. Marco. Is That's that correct? Right. That's okay, right. I got it right. See, I studied right. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, thanks for being here today. Um, but the, the, what we're really going to talk about today is the impact of technology on practices. And I know on ODWire we talk a lot about folks who, who maybe have been running their practices for a while, they haven't invested in any new technology in quite a while, uh, and maybe they're even a little bit scared to dip their toe in the water and try something new and different because they're afraid they're going to tip over the apple cart. Well, today we have someone here who tipped over the apple cart. Um, uh, so, so, Dr. Henney, I just want to ask you a few questions. You know, you implemented a whole bunch of technology in your office, and you've had a long-standing practice. And I just want to, you know, have a little back and forth with you and talk about what those changes have looked like and. Uh, and sort of where you're going. So I guess my first question would be, can you tell me a little bit about your practice before you made the changes? Well, thanks for being here, Adam. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I've been in practice since 1981, and a typical solo practice in Central Florida, middle of the road as far as socially and economically, and uh, one person show after about six or eight years, I implemented a technician to help me collect the data, be a little more efficient. And things kind of rocked along for a number of years. I added some equipment, added a fundus camera, retinal photography, visual fields, keeping up with the technology. Rocked along then probably for the next five or ten years, got five children, get busy with life, and now they're gone. And so I'm analyzing where I'm at, where I want to be in two years, five years, ten years, and I decided maybe I was going to make a change and see if I could ramp it up a little bit. Right. So what were some of the challenges that you have running, running an office of your size? The biggest challenges, I believe, are keeping good employees, managed care is, is here to stay, and then recently is health care reform. So we've got downward pressure on reimbursement. So we know we have to be more efficient, and the only way to, to deal with more patients and continue the top quality that we need to do is uh, add some technology. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I watched my father's practice for all those years where there was absolutely no technology, and I'm just thinking back and sort of wondering how he was able to do the volume that he did, um, and, and now thinking back on it too, it was constantly disorganized, you know, sorry dad, if you're listening to this, um, but you know, there just didn't seem to be a, a coherent workflow that you could actually manage or, or look at when you went through the office. So I guess my question to you is, um, how did your office run before, and can you kind of tell us about the technology that you brought in and maybe how that's changed things a bit? Well, specifically, we've added the EPIC system, and uh, but let me regress just a little bit. So I was a pretty busy practitioner, and uh, about a year and a half ago, I, I decided that I wanted to get some communication software so I could communicate with some patients through Facebook and social media, maybe some electronic recalls. We've been the gamut on recall. We've been through the pre-appointing, through the postcards, through the telephone, and the results in my practice were fair to middle and at best. So I was a little frustrated with that, so I sought out some communication software, and about a year later, I could tell no difference in my practice. 
So I searched around some more in the fall of 2014, and uh, I found one that was a little different than the other ones, and all of a sudden, I go from two days backed up in patients to a month. I'm a month behind, all of a sudden, boom, within two weeks, just like that. So I said, hmm, this is interesting. So uh, I started looking around, how am I gonna reduce this backlog? And I added another technician. So instead of working with one technician, I'm working with two. I've got three examination rooms. So I added a second technician, and I'm still a month behind, seeing more patients. I'm not, I haven't solved my problem. So I consulted with Dr. Tim Petito, and he suggested I consider the EPIC system. And I'd seen it at trade shows. One of my biggest concerns about it was uh, the maintenance. It looked like a very sophisticated piece of machinery, and I was worried that, hey, this thing's going to break down. I have enough trouble keeping all the other parts of my office going. What about this thing? If I get dependent on it, it's down. What am I going to do? But what sold me, I talked to Tim, and then I talked to the service people here at Marco in Jacksonville, and they described that piece of equipment as bulletproof. And that term really resonated with me. Something that's bulletproof, I want to be a part of. They, I talked to the technicians in the lab and here at Marco and Service, and they said they've had machines out there 10 to 15 years with never a service call. My annual refractors in my office, I'm having them service at least once a year, and I'm still having trouble with gears sticking and lenses getting fogged up. With these, they don't even take them apart. So that, that was very intriguing to me. So now I'm up to two technicians running three exam rooms. I'm working as hard as I can. My back's getting sore. My neck's getting sore. My rotator cuff's going out, and I've got to do something. So Tim said, what's one of the most time-consuming parts of your practice? And I'm, I think it's refraction. I enjoy refraction, and I think it's very important. So Tim said, try this. I said, can the quality of the refraction be up to my speed he said definitely and I can vouch for that we came for training after I purchased the instrument back in the spring of this year 2015 and uh, we were in training and 10 people in the class I'm the only optometrist eight of the other nine people had never seen a refractor before and within one day those other people were refracting everybody as good as me and maybe better so it shocked me. I was probably the poorest refractionist in the, in the training because I had been so ingrained on a manual refractor. So that was extremely eye-opening to me. So uh, we've implemented it, and I've increased my patients five to seven patients per day. So it's more than made up for the extra technician that I hired. It more than made up for the extra optician that I hired, and it more than made up for the cost of the instrumentation. So I've been extremely pleased that I can provide a better eye examination, do a little less work as far as collecting data, and I can talk to my patients more about other things. Some patients want to talk about the weather, some want to talk about sunglasses, some want to talk about contact lenses, some want to talk about family histories of glaucoma. So I feel like I can communicate with my patients better. I've got more time to spend with them and do a better job because we're getting all these other tests such as topography and wavefront refraction and placido disk and just a whole host of other data collection points that the system collects within just moments. Right. What was the impact on your staff when you did it? You know, a lot of people are very afraid 
to bring new technology in like this because they're afraid they're going to have a staff rebellion and people are going to be bouncing off the walls and mutinying and everything else. What, what happened to you? Well, it's very funny that you mentioned a mutiny. My, my staff was, was hesitant. They said, where are we going to put it? And I said, we're going to find a place for this. And we found the perfect place, and it's been great. They were hesitant, but when we came to training, they were all on board because they were participating now in the health care. But the mutiny part of it is I've recently been so busy that my staff can't catch up, and they came to me recently and said, we're tired, we can't, we can't keep up. So I gotta add more staff and maybe expand my building size. So after 30 years of practice, you would expect your practice to nearly level off. They say optometrist practices age with them. But I've been pleased to say that since I've instituted the EPIC, my gross is up 19% and my net is up 29%. So I'm, I'm just thrilled. Wow. And, and so you mentioned, you know, the, the old adage that your practice ages with you. So now here you are, you know, an older practitioner with brand new equipment. What has that actually done to the practice in terms of the perception that the patients have of, of you in your office? It's been extremely positive. The patients are telling other patients they're coming in, hey, I want to see that new instrument or on a rare occasion that they don't get run on it. They ask about it. Hey, can I have that run on my eyes? And it's been extremely positive. Uh, so you mentioned that you implemented the OPD first, and then you moved on to the EPIC. So can you just talk to us a little bit about the evolution and, and how that happened? Right. The uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to jump into the whole system right off the bat, so I went ahead and got the OPD system. And I've been really quite amazed at the technology, the information it gives me, so many data points that I wouldn't normally be able to collect either by myself or with my technicians, but to have it right in front of me and to show the patients, I've got it, the viewing software so I can project it right into each room and the patient sees what's going on. And I can't say how many patients I've had that have had some kind of an issue that was never corrected or never noticed before, right. beginning keratoconus, beginning cataracts. I had a woman just the other day, 40 years old, came in, said, I'm seeing blurry out of my right eye. I looked with a slit lamp and I saw no cataract there. Uh, check the refraction, it's just the same, but her right eye was definitely blurry. So we ran the OPD on her. She was complaining, she thought it was the glasses, had my opticians look at it, it wasn't the glasses. So we ran the OPD and I said, oh, here's the problem right here. So she had a beginning cataract and she was a little shocked and I was too, but things happen and it can be corrected. But at least we know the problem, so it's very, very good starting point for my office. And it makes you almost wonder over the years how many things like this you may have missed. You're exactly right. And uh, another thing that has really been a question in my mind, bifocal contact lens, we're fitting more and more of them. And a number of people you think will be an excellent candidate, you put the lenses on and they just don't see like you expect them to. But with the OPD instrument, it gives us some information that oftentimes will show why they're unsuccessful. So that's been very eye-opening to me and uh, satisfying because when you don't know, you just don't know, but now we can explain it in many cases. That was, that was actually my evolution as well. And, you know, I went to the OPD first and then later on added the TRS system. I don't have the EPIC in my office. Uh, I'm not busy as he is. My, my, practition, my, pra my practice is uh, demographically very different from his. Uh, I do a lot more low vision rehabilitation and, and complex systems that ophthalmology sends that they can't figure out. Send, end up in my office, which is you know really not high volume at that point. It's a lot more uh, hand-holding of the patient and 
a lot more data gathering, a lot more, you know, contacting the, the referring doctor back. So uh, I actually tried the communication software that, that was a miracle for him because of my demographic difference, you know, it confused a lot of patients. They, they, they somehow couldn't, when they got those electronic communications, they couldn't figure out what it meant. So it created a lot of problems for my office and I got rid of it. Well, you know, what's funny is I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel old, too. You can see how the generation sort of changed. So, like, when, you know, just a few years ago, email was, like, the big thing. And if you had an email system that could shoot out emails, you were the, you know, the big guy. That's great. It's modern. Now, of course, email is for old people, right, or so the young people tell me. So whatever system you get, it's got to send out text messages because no one will look at their email. So it's amazing how these things sort of evolve over time. And, and the time it takes for them to evolve is much shorter than it used to be. Absolutely. The communication software that I'm presently using has a function that has been really amazing to me. One of my problems before I had this software was no-shows and cancellations. Now we, we don't skip a beat. We've got what I call the secret button. When we have a no-show or a cancellation, my office assistants just hit the magic button. We have a list of people on uh, standby, and it sends a text to them, and you've got... 10 to 15 minutes to be here, and they, but you got a call. I have had very few, probably less than a dozen open appointments since last October when I instituted this system. So that in itself has been amazing, but we can handle them now because of the EPIC system. Wow, that is amazing. Yes. So uh, I guess the, the big question is, you know, if, if you have colleagues that might maybe are thinking about it, about implementing new technology, what would you tell them? If you had to do it all over again, what are some of the, the, the pros and the cons? Where, where have things gone right, and what do you think you would have done differently? I would say that I probably should have in, implemented this technology sooner. I had a little concern about having enough patience to implement it, but now with the communication softwares that are available on the market today, that, that is uh, no longer a problem, it doesn't seem like. And I think that for the younger practitioners, and I look back in the old days when I started back in the 80s, we didn't have Medicare parity, so we couldn't bill for Medicare. It was very low chance of being on a medical plan. And now with medical plans being more, of a, more friendly to optometry and with Medicare and Medicaid, I, I think there's never been a better time to be an optometrist. We've got more patients, we've got better technology, we've got better products, we've got better trained optometrists. I think it's the, the golden age of optometry. We've got more medications. Most states now have oral medications, and it's, uh, it's extremely exciting. I've never been more excited to be an optometrist than I am today. Have you thought about bringing on an associate? Well, as a matter of fact, I am seriously considering that possibility. We've, I think we've got the patient demand. I've was at SECO this last year, and I talked to several people. One, I talked to Jerry Hayes, and he was extremely interesting to talk to. He was very generous with his time, and he talked about the various stages of practice development, trying to get past the $300,000 a year gross, and then the issues that when you try to get to the $600,000 a year gross, and then getting to the $750,000 a year gross. And he says each, each stage along the way presents certain issues in his book, he discusses these and gives suggestions how to blow past those. And the biggest one, he says, is to get past the $900,000 point. And uh, that's where I was at for several years. I was right in that neighborhood. And uh, he says that less than 5% of optometrists ever get past the million-dollar mark. This is my year. If everything continues the way it is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to do that. So I feel very 
excited about it. I feel like it's a career goal to get to that point. And if the economy stays good and everything goes well, I think there's a good chance we'll be able to do it this year. Not Knock so on much. wood. There you go. <laughs> Well, well, great. You know, one question I almost forgot to ask, the other concern that a lot of folks have, and it sounds trivial, is the idea of floor space. My question to you is when you're, you're bringing in this new equipment, was the space a concern at all for you, or was this? It was a concern, but when you know that this is going to be one of the most important pieces of equipment in your office that you're going to use on nearly every patient, you need to make room for it. Right. And uh, we moved our fundus camera and our OCT machine over a few feet, I believe the footprint of the instrument is about six feet by eight feet, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we've got it positioned in a place that's easily accessible from the waiting room, and then we can uh, move the patients efficiently into the examination rooms. So it's been a really fantastic part of my practice. Excellent. And, and I know that you consulted with Dr. Tim, you said, before you went ahead and did this. So I have to ask you, Dr. Tim, is this something that you routinely do if people call you up and you can... <laughs> I'm usually not the person they call up. They, they usually deal with the area manager that's, that's specific to their part of the country. But uh, Kevin and I have been friends for years and years and years, and long, long before I was involved with Marco. And so when he, you know, we went to lunch one day and he said, you know, th I can't believe this is happening in my practice. I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been my entire life. And when I was a young man, I was dreaming of these days, and now that I'm an old man, it's killing me. <laughs> so... So that's when we got into the conversation about what, you know, what are the opportunities to become more efficient, rework the workflow, and uh, take advantage of technology that will make it either easy to delegate or easy to just become more efficient if you choose not to. In Kevin's, in Kevin's uh, example, he decided he would try to delegate, which really takes you to that next level that he's talking about because then, you know, your time becomes doctor time completely and, and you know, data gathering becomes people who are expert at data gathering. Right. Well, I have to ask you, you know, you've seen hundreds of these systems go in, right? Do most people start kind of doing it themselves and then eventually say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to delegate this? Yeah, usually, you know, optometry, t we tend to dip our toe in the water and not just jump in head first. Right. But, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin's been all, all his career has been an early adopter and, and somebody who stays up on technology and and, you know, there were a few concerns he had at the, at the beginning, and we kind of, you know, sat down pencil and paper and drew out workflows and talked about, you know, what the options were without changing his, you know, walls and, and footprint of the building and all of that kind of stuff. And just, you know, get the, uh, take the existing footprint and existing setup and then add technology, utilize the, uh, the schedule differently and it, and it made space for him to really, I mean, his, he's actually done far better than I th had predicted he would do. And that's probably just could be a discuss Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one question I have, you know, you cleared your backlog. You have all this new business coming in. Have you discovered a new bottleneck? You know, is, if it's not the equipment anymore, what is it? The biggest holdup now is my building space. I have three exam rooms. When I built my building, I had two, two exam rooms. I had equipment in one. I built my building in 1989. And then shortly after that, I had to fill up my second exam room with equipment. And then a couple of years down the road, I had to change my contact lens room into an examination room, and I would just do the contact lens fittings in the examination rooms. Yep, so unfortunately, that's not something Marco can help with, right, knocking down walls. <laughs> no, but we were, we, were, we were discussing, you know, how he might double his building uh, in a way. You know, it's interesting 
I get to, in my role, I get to speak to, you know, people all over the country. And so uh, I can't remember where this practice was, but I just talked to uh, some architects that were redoing a practice by basically building a second floor over an existing building, moving the practice up to the second floor, and then demolishing what was under it to double, to then, you know, incorporate new space where the old building was. So it was interesting. They, they basically built a building on stilts and then demolished the building out from under it and then closed in the bottom and, and now they've doubled the, the, the space. So we were talking about that because of, you know, Kevin's uh, real estate is not gonna grow where he is. He's gonna have to deal whatever, whatever expansion he does will have to be in the same footprint or, or pretty close to it. So it was, uh, you know, we were throwing around some ideas at lunch before we started. Well, Kevin, it sounds like you're well on your way, so I'll get the jackhammer ready for you and uh, good luck. I'd like to go back and talk, if you don't mind, about uh, some of the things that Jerry Hayes talks about, and that is these various levels of practice. And he says the million-dollar practice is, is not a very common thing. And uh, I was in my study looking at the book, and uh, this is back in the spring of this year, and I came across a book that Walt West had given me a few years ago, and, it, and the title of it is When Your Success is on the Line. But the subtitle is Fundamental Lessons for Reaching Your Personal and Business Potential. And this book really rocks me because I don't think we ever want to go to our grave and know that we haven't done our best, whether it's personal or in our business life. And uh, so I, I've kind of had this dream of what can I do to take my practice to the next level. And uh, the book is phenomenal. And uh, Jerry Hayes talks in his book about Back in the, I believe it's 1954, the four-minute mile had never been broken. Many people had tried, and scientists came out and said, I don't think anybody can break the four-minute mile. It's just physically impossible. And then a man named Roger Bannister, a British gentleman, went 359.4, and then within the next three months, I think six or eight people broke it and got it down to 354. So it's a little bit of what, what the barriers are. And sometimes in private practice, we're by ourselves. We go to meetings occasionally and talk to people. But you really don't know what's, what's out there, what's possible. This last year at SECO, I was talking to some consultants up there. I said, what, what can a solo optometrist in an average-type community expect to do? And they said, well, most don't get to a million, but we have clients that are doing 1.5 million, 1.7. We have one that's doing 2.5 million. I said, by himself? He said, you want to talk to him? And I did, and it was incredible what insights he gave me. And he says, you got to rely on the tech technology and the delegation. So who knows what this guy is, but I've, I feel like I've broken the four-minute mile now, and I don't, I'm going to see how low I can go and, and how high I can go. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. And uh, if those two books are still in print, and I hope they are, we'll, uh, right beneath where this radio show is being broadcast, we'll have little uh, threads where people can go get them. That would be excellent. I would like to add one thing. I, I use the word I, but I give a lot of credit to my wife, my office manager, and my staff. They're really quite good, and they've had some concerns, but we've tried it, and everybody's really happy. Well, excellent. All right. Well, I guess, Kevin, Tim, thanks so much for being here, and uh, I guess the questions will be rolling in, so uh, everyone at OD Wire, feel free to ask away, and, uh, and the conversation will continue online. So thanks a lot, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.